Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's time for another show dedicated to the world of keto. Check out ketoreset.com for details about my New York Times bestselling book and send your questions to info at ketoreset.com. And action. Welcome to the Fantastic Four podcast. That's what I'm calling it today on the keto episode of the Primal Blueprint podcast. Why? Because we have four fabulous keto authorities in one room together for the first time ever, including an arduous traveler all the way from Alabama, Layla McGowan. Hello. (laughs) Dr. Lindsay Taylor sitting here with her. Hi. And our favorite guy from the other side of the recording, Brian McAndrew, coming all the way from Portland, Oregon. Yo. And wow, you guys are really deep into this stuff. You're role models for all keto enthusiasts everywhere, especially in the case of Layla and Brian doing this high-intensity strength training performance, you know, big commitment in the gym, lifting heavy weights, all that fun stuff. And a lot of people think that keto is not appropriate for that. You guys are living examples otherwise. And Lindsay is going for the uh, endurance side of the coin here. I guess I'm somewhere in the middle doing my speed golf, sprinting, high jumping, things like that. And we're all going to talk about the matters of the day. So I have a little bit of a unstructured format here, but we had so much good content come out before we hit the record button this morning when we were just jabbering about this and that and the other thing. So some of the great stuff that came up was this concept of the burnout factor or the stress factor of adhering to such a strict dietary protocol. And one thing that you've told me a couple of times where, you know, you've been in this now for two years straight, no, very little wavering. And one of your success strategies was to basically, you know, you're following these rules, you're in the, you're in the, the ketogenic eating pattern. So you don't even think about the things outside of that realm as options. So there's no decision fatigue. There's no stress at the, at the first birthday party of Vanessa that someone's serving cake and you're like, Hey, you're the dad. Shouldn't you have a piece? And it's like, no, because I don't eat that stuff. And I think that's a really empowering strategy. I want to hear how everybody feels about uh, kind of balancing that that stress that we hear so often from people wishing they could have the forbidden foods and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, for me, that phrase decision fatigue gets you know thrown around a lot, and that might be part of it. But for me, also, it's like I just heard someone I'd never heard this word before, but something called satisficing or satisficers. <laughs> yeah, I'd never heard this word versus maximizers, and it's basically like instead of trying to make every decision the perfect decision, you're more satisfied with like the decision you make. And it's like, once you find something that's good enough, you're just like, yeah, like it's good enough. Like I don't need to be looking for the next thing. And I think like, especially like just in looking at like the Facebook groups and just the internet in general, like everyone is looking for like the maximal, like how to maximize with my diet. And with me, it's like I'm, I've am i given up trying to maximize and I've found a lot of satisfaction, like something that I feel good on and it's like I don't really question it anymore. Well, don't you think that there's something like if you could graph it out where you get some benefit from the actual foods you're eating and the quality of your diet, however you, you know define that. And then there's another curve where it's kind of the amount of, you have to think about it and the amount of stress (laughs) that causes. And at some point there's a crossover point and the point at which that crossover point occurs is going to be different for different people. So some people 
are really happy when they're tinkering. You know, these are our biohacker population, right? Where they're just always trying something new and trying to squeeze more and more and more out of it. And then there's some people where the crossover point happens sooner. And as soon as they really have to start doing things like even basic measuring, they're starting to hit that tipping point. And so maybe if you know, your tipping point is really low, you need to be working on that. But first, there's probably a pretty wide optimal range where if your tipping point falls anywhere in here, you're probably doing well enough to get a lot, most of the health benefits. And so you don't need to worry too much about trying to change your tipping point and just figure out where you can be, where you're just below the tipping point, where you're getting as many benefits as you can without now falling into the stress cave. Yeah, I guess it's like uh, at a certain point you're going to examine your goals and and uh, like LeBron James just got his whooping from the Warriors. He's probably not feeling great right now. We're recording this just after the NBA Finals 2018. He was uh, uh, purported to go keto one summer and you know cut back additionally on his body fat, improved his body composition. This was a few years ago where he got headlines for going deep into this dietary uh transformation because he wants to get every ounce of performance out of his body. So, you know, there might be people in that high category where they're competing in ultra distance events and want to, you know, refine their level of fat adaptation. Uh, consequently, they're going to sit down and and move that tipping point where they're not even concerned about the stress factor. They just want to maximize their benefits. And then I think we have busy people who are struggling with compliance and getting overwhelmed at times. And so they have a whole different set of decision-making factors, like how can I make this easier and easier to adhere to and easier in general? I think some of the, you know, the big tinkering aspects that you see sometimes might also be driven by social pressure. Like you see on social media, people get into these like, who's the most keto compliant person, you know, who can make the the purplest pee and the highest, um, you know, keto mojo sticks. And, um, you know, after a certain point, you have to decide, you know, what, what fits my life best? Because I mean, is this really about me showing up somebody else on Instagram and, you know, posting higher ketone numbers, or is this about actual results that I'm feeling internally? And, um, you know, it, it can really help to separate yourself from that need for um, external, uh, what's the word? Um, gratification. Likes. Likes, yeah. Trolling for likes. Don't, don't do it for the likes. Think about, you know, what are you, what are you going through with your body? And if, you're, if your ketogenic eating looks different than somebody else's because you're not weighing and measuring, you know, every little tiny Brussels sprout and peeling leaves off of your Brussels sprout so that you don't exceed 20 grams, that doesn't mean that you're not doing it right. That just means that you're doing it differently than somebody else. And what matters is your results. I think the problem is that the results aren't always forthcoming because it's people are complicated and losing weight is hard and building muscle is hard. And, you know, I mean, it's it's easy on one level and it's hard on another, right? There are a certain set of rules that work for most people, but most people aren't satisfied with, you know, kind of the basic results, right? The people that we're talking to are people who want either quicker results or better results or whatever. And, you know, I think that a lot of the things we see that look like social comparison, I wonder if the social comparison is just driven by feeling unsure about whether or not they're on the right path, right? So that it's, they're looking to other people more because, they just don't have a lot of either faith in what they're doing or confidence that they have the right information to make the right choices. And 
you know, I can say only so many times that there's no one ketogenic diet and that I don't have the answers for everybody. None of us moderators in this group have the answer for everybody. Well, but I mean, at the same time, maybe I do, but okay, carry on. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I think that some of the, a lot of the social comparison is driven by a feeling of uncertainty because this is a very uncertain process. You know, if, like I've said a million times, if we, if any one of us had the answer and knew exactly how to diagnose and make a plan and make an eating strategy and a workout plan that would help everybody achieve the quote unquote perfect body, then that one person would be rich and everyone else would be out of business. Well, it goes back to what we were talking about uh, earlier. And I said, um, just thinking of this zip code analogy, because I was texting you guys rather than picking you up at the airport. I was too lazy this morning. I didn't want to go in traffic. I'm like, hey, here's the address. Get lift, man. No problem. So I had the zip code in mind. I said, you know, as long as we're in the same zip code here and we're talking about uh, the big picture elements of, you know, pursuing healthy eating habits, uh, healthy mealtime habits too, not just eating the right foods, but enjoying your meals, sitting down, taking time to prepare them, go to the farmer's market, learn about new recipes, having fun, bringing your kids into the mix, all this kind of fun stuff. And also making sure that you've eliminated those big three offensive foods that we start the keto reset diet protocol with is like, hey, you got to ditch grains, sugars, and refined vegetable oils before we even talk about the nuances of your macros or restricting calories in the name of reducing excess body fat. And it sounds obvious, but Layla, you made that point uh, off, off, the, off the mic that we see so many people that are diving into the details before they have a healthy foundation. Yeah, I mean, it just, there's no point to getting into, you know, specifically how many grams of protein can I eat each day at each meal if you're not even beginning to eliminate the offensive foods that are causing you inflammation in the first place. Because that's window dressing, and you need to build the house before you worry about what color the drapes are. You know, so get the foundation down where you're eating the high quality food. You're, you know, dialing in your sleep. You're not um, engaging in, you know, the chronic cardio that's destroying your body and is overreaching for what your, you know, ability to recover is. And then maybe later on, when you start to see results, and maybe those results slow down, you can go in and say, "Hey, I need to fine tune now." But there's no reason to immediately jump in to, you know, the the tiniest little minutia and have that be a um, stumbling block for you even beginning. Like get started with the with the first things first and then worry about the extra stuff. Yeah, I think people are setting themselves up for failure. It's like a self-sabotage strategy to take on too much at first and plunge into a strict exercise regimen and a dietary transformation where you're restricting carbs, which has been your main fuel your whole life, and you're really going for it and nothing's going to deter you because you're so motivated and driven. But if you look back in that pattern in your life, and we see it a lot in the athletic world too, where you're setting yourself up for failure because it's unsustainable and everyone around you is going, dude, isn't that kind of crazy? I mean, wait a second. Now you're weighing your meals where last week you were you know, hosting the pizza party. But we see that a lot as people just want to have this black and white where if they plunge full full bore into some exciting new uh, regimen, all their ills are going to be solved for the rest of their life. And it's sort of like a short-sighted approach rather than always making sure that you feel comfortable with whatever lifestyle changes you're making. I think, I think that part of the issue is that we have this mindset where anything related to diet or exercise, and I mean like diet, the four-letter word diet, entails 
pain as a necessity. Like it has to be suffering. And if you're not suffering, if you're not vomiting at the end of your workout, if you're not starving at the end of the day, then obviously you're not getting any results. So you have that whole no pain, no gain mentality. And it just doesn't have to be like that. I mean, that's no way to live your life indefinitely. And I eat ketogenically now, and I intend to eat ketogenically indefinitely. And I can tell you that I'm not going to pick up a style of eating that, you know, inherently incorporates suffering into my life. Food is supposed to be enjoyable. It's a family social occasion, not something that you should dread and, you know, spend a bunch of time feeling anxious about. Yeah, whole dudes would agree because it's one of the best Instagram <laughs> sites out there. And it looks like those dudes, or maybe it's just one dude, they're always having fun and same with strong and well-fed and same with the useful dish. So I gave you three plugs for these great Instagram sites, but there's a lot to that. Well, I think that part of it is that, you know, people perceive that doing the you know super low carb and the super, you know, quote unquote clean eating, I know that's a word that people don't love, but the super clean eating and also the fasting and also the supplementation is somehow a better or more correct version of keto because it incorporates so many more elements and it may be better or work better for some people. And it may be for some people, a good long-term goal, but I just think it's weird that when it comes to something like how you eat, you think that you can just jump into the major leagues right away and that you should be able to. And that if you, if you struggle to jump into the major leagues right away, that that indicates some sort of personal failing on your part. Whereas like going back to your basketball analogy, Brad, if I wanted to learn how to play basketball today as a person who's never really played basketball, I wouldn't assume I could just go in and start doing LeBron's workouts, right. Or playing as well as him or hitting as many shots as him or do anything at his level. So I do think there's this kind of competitiveness on social media now we're holding up these kind of pillars of health and saying, you know, oh, look, it's so easy for them. It should be that easy for me because we all inherently know how to eat, right? Not how to eat correctly, but we all know how to eat. And so we feel like, oh, I should just be able to do what the people who are doing it, how I perceive, you know, optimally or the most correct can do it. And maybe I have to do some intermediate steps to get there. And it's not an excuse not to try, but it is an ex- it is a reason to maybe give yourself a little bit more grace as you progress towards your goals and towards what you perceive as optimal. If you're not there the first week, it doesn't necessarily reflect a personal failing and it doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong. What happens to those people that are going to take statements like this and run with them? And you've just given them an inch and now they're going to take a mile and they're going to be patient. They're going to take six months to go keto instead of six weeks. And is there a downside to giving, telling someone to relax a little bit and uh, kind of uh, moderate their approach? I mean, I don't think that there's a, inherently a downside if, if what they're doing in that six months is doing something like going primal instead, which is obviously for us totally great and totally fine. I mean, I can't micromanage what everyone does in terms of their path. And I don't really want to, but I would, I would, you know, I think that it's that our job is to help people, help people decide where they want to be and help them determine what that would be the best steps. But ultimately, you know, people know that they're not supposed to do things like eat, you know, cake every Friday and call that intermittent carb reloading or something like that. Like people know when they're making, excuses for themselves. Right. So I don't think that, that us telling people not to 
not to introduce stress into their diet is permission to do those things. And if people are being honest with themselves, I think they know that too. Uh, Brian, tell us how it went for you from the start. Cause I remember we were fussing around in my parents' kitchen doing some filming and we were like, Hey, I wonder what this 50 grams a day really is. And so we were measuring out the Brussels sprouts and taking pictures of these different plates where you had two tablespoons of almond butter, uh, a handful of almonds, and we're adding up to 50 going, wow, that, that's really not that many carbs right there. Wait, what about my dark chocolate? We got to put that in there. Uh, but right around that time, that was, uh, over two years ago now is when you, uh, plunged into this full bore and tell me, tell me how that process went and where you started from too. Yeah, so I guess that was a little bit over two years ago. And right at that time, I'd already been primal, you know, for several years. But looking back now, I realized I kind of made myself like chubby. Fat, was it fat chicken face? Fat Is that what your face. wife called you? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, basically in the pursuit of eating to perform, you know, this whole like sports nutrition for the layperson, which that's like one of my things now. It's like, I'm just against, unless like you're getting paid to be an athlete, like I'm just anti um, sort of sports nutrition, you know, trying to maximize your performance. Cause that's what I was doing. Like I was watching, you know, basically all my lifting numbers go up, you know, the more I ate, mm -hmm. you know, the, the stronger I got. And then one, and I never got like fat, but I looked, I realized like, like I don't like being that big. Like I didn't feel comfortable. What kind of weight did you start at and peak at and then uh, kind of went into that <laughs> next phase? I think I was like, not, I mean, I'm a small person. I'm only 5'6", and I was like one, like 160. And honestly, it was great. Like, I think a lot of people are afraid to like actually put on weight and gain muscle. Like, especially now, you know, everyone's just worried about, you know, because now everything's on social media. Like, no one wants to actually do the, you know, put on the mass, like actually build muscle. Everyone wants to just like stay lean. So in some ways it was good, but at the same time, you know, I'd kind of accidentally gone to this place that I hadn't intended. And so, yeah, keto, I'd kind of eaten keto at times and I did know that it sort of had uh, definitely an appetite reducing effect. Mm. Um, and so, so I, you got to that place with um, really big time efforts in the gym, like CrossFit, teaching CrossFit, mm -hmm. and then also slamming calories down your throat was yeah. the, the whole process there. Yeah. The usual way of um, guys wanting to get bigger. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think your fat chicken face picture is on ketoreset.com <laughs> on the front page. So speaking of social media and, and um, may, maybe it'll be there forever. So that, that's cool. You can go look at it. And then the, the transformation picture that we're going to get to. But um, so that was a, that was a combination of um, strenuous exercise. Yeah, just getting a little bit of a, a tunnel vision, I guess, on, you know, my my CrossFit, you know, performance, which it's like, looking back, it's like, who cares about, you know, what I'm doing in the gym, except, you know, me. And so... <laughs> and your 8,800 followers on Instagram. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, I sort of bought into this keto thing, especially, you know, you had mentioned that you guys were doing, you know, we're going to do a book, and I was like, okay, this is going to be my route, like, I'm just going to stick to this. And, uh, initially I couldn't, I couldn't stick to it. Like, or at least I could stick to the keto foods, but you know, when I was still doing the CrossFit, I mean, and this is, I, one of the pieces of advice I always give people is like dial down, you know, the CrossFit when you're going keto. And I know other people will disagree, but I'm just speaking from my personal experience where, you know, I would, I would be eating keto. I do my, you know, CrossFit workout. And then, you know, sometime in that week, I just 
you know, want to eat the whole fridge, you know, eat the whole bag of macadamia nuts. And it wasn't until I sort of changed um, my exercise to more of just like a, you know, just just normal strength, you know, power, power lifting, bodybuilding type of stuff. And then doing, you know, slow, like math, cardio, like that combination, like mm. I realized my appetite, like just got under control and then slowly, you know, not, not being too rigid, you know, body weight just slowly came down, uh, you know, lifts initially went down, mm. but at the same time, you know, I'd, I'd sort of embrace this mindset of, you know, let's just see what I can do on this diet and, you know, just stuck with it for probably about a year and got quite a bit leaner and then, you know, lifts started to come up, you know, not. Are you saying absolute lifts came up? Or are you making some adjustment for weight? Like you're saying you lost weight and started lifting more weight or getting uh, back to where you getting were when back you were to where I was. chicken face? Yeah, getting back to where I was. And, you know, and this was paying no attention to like fueling my workouts. You know, I just ate like a normal person, no pre-workout nutrition, no post-workout nutrition. Just What? Eating. And yeah, it was just, you know, very, this very like lazy, you know, that's the thing why I like keto. It's like, it's less, it's you know, you're eliminating a whole macronutrient. It's like less foods to worry about. It's like, you know, you're mm. stripping it down to like this. Did he say lazy? My, my mom's going to be doing the timestamps and put like, <laughs> Brian says he is lazy, 21 minutes, 40 seconds. No, it's like. Lazily lifting six times 350 pound deadlift. Yeah, I love that. But uh, I mean, lazy's, that, that, it's, it's a good point that you made. You're just crossing out a whole smooth category or, yeah. of food, right? basically. So oh, now all I'm worrying it. about is just, getting enough, you know, protein and, uh, I don't know, and then vegetables are like sort of a garnish and, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's, it's just less, it's just less. It's like a, a diet, like you're going to Mars. Like, it's just <laughs> like, there's less components to it. Um, less moving it, parts. Yeah. yeah. And it's a little bit easier to skip meals. It's less meals. It's less prep. It's less, you know, buying uh, like vegetables and fruits for me. I mean, I still eat vegetables, but it's not like, uh, it's just definitely less, less protein, you know, because I'm eating less protein being keto. I wonder what a psychologist would say about that, how you you sort of narrowed your choices and narrowed the complexity of it. Yeah, definitely a less complex approach and then kind of landed where I want to be. And then I've just stuck with it just because I, you know, I feel good. I still, uh, I feel like I have better mental energy, better mood. And I think there's a lot of like, Sometimes I find myself like, oh, maybe I could push myself harder if I, you know, ate more carbs. But then it's like whenever I sort of go down that route of trying to maximize things again, I kind of seem, I don't know. I'd rather like see what I can do on this path. You know, that's enough that I get satisfaction from that. Right. And what you're saying, you may get into trouble as you dial up the complexity or, or well, start focusing get, on it more yeah, or something? Yeah, then I, you know, this sort of freedom, this liberation I found of like stripping things to like this very basic diet, then I start, I, I find myself, you know, thinking more about, it's just more, I'm thinking about it again, and which I like, I like not, you know, I like that lazy approach. Love it. Layla, what about you? Uh, you're kind of in the same game where you're going in the gym and going hard and uh, trying to get personal best in these strength training efforts. We see those interspersed with uh, on Instagram. It's either a delicious meal or some chick lifting more than you've ever dreamed of in your life. It's like the, it's like the, the, uh, the ultimate variety Instagram site, strong and well-fed. Maybe with some yoga thrown in there every now and then too. My, Amazing, my yeah, bad, yeah. bad yoga. I'm Amazing a bad yogi. Yoga. Um, 
No, honestly, my story is not that different than Brian's. Um, I initially started out, I think, where a lot of people start out where, you know, you think that you need all of the sports nutrition supplements because, um, you know, you are (laughs) you're just following the thought leaders in, you know, strength training, bodybuilding, CrossFit, powerlifting world. And, you know, they happen to be eating this specific kind of supplement and they're eating this specific kind of diet. And what they don't tell you is these athletes. They're getting paid for eating those. This yes. episode is sponsored by Super Gel here at our mid-roll commercial. Squirt it in your mouth before you start working out and you will have a great workout. Not only are they not only are they getting paid to eat these things, but they're not you. You know, I am not a six foot tall um, man who weighs three hundred pounds and who can deadlift eight hundred pounds. I'm a five foot four woman. I I weigh you know around one hundred and thirty pounds, and I have some hip problems I need to work work around. And it's not intelligent for me to eat and train like a professional athlete when I'm not a professional athlete. So I think. One of the realizations that I came to um, right about the same time that I did go keto was that the way that I was training was just not sustainable for my goals because, I mean, like Brian said, who am I trying to impress? No, Nobody. Who cares? Nobody comes up to me and goes, how much do you bench? Well, sometimes they do, but it's irrelevant. I don't interact with people based on my, you know, my bench press, squat, and deadlift totals. I interact with people based on how I feel throughout the day, and keto makes me feel great throughout the day. So I would rather feel amazing than, you know, be humongously bulked out and, you know, putting up these deadlift numbers that are tearing my hips apart. And, you know, I did that. I I tore my hips up chasing a deadlift that was inappropriate for my physiology, just given how damaged my hips are. So, you know, don't, don't be like me. Just learn from my mistakes. <laughs> learn from my mistakes. Skip the whole sports nutrition thing. Go right into a diet that's suitable for you, and go into a training routine and you know whatever athletic pursuit it is that makes your heart sing. That's reasonable for what you're able to give, and that honors you know the limitations of your body. Nice. What do you think, Doctor Lindsay? Are these guys on to something special here with this simplified approach? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I think it's great. I think it should be everyone's long-term goal, but I do think that, you know, there is probably a subset of people listening to the podcast right now who are coming into this, who are dealing with major health issues Mm -hmm. and, you know, hormone dysregulation, obesity, type two diabetes, who are right now pretty far from being able to do lazy keto. I mean, probably all four of us at the table do some form of lazy keto. I mean, I don't track my food anymore. Every once in a while, I'll do a ketone blood test just for giggles to see if I really think I've messed something up or if I really think I'm going to throw up a high number, I'll do it. But that's more for fun. But, you know, and it's okay to to be listening right now and be saying, like, God, I'm so far from being having that kind of, you know, the, the word that gets thrown around right now, the term is food freedom, right? That's a Leanne Vogel term that she uses a lot too. That And that is, a, that's an ultimate goal. But if you're not there right now, then maybe trying to, trying to do lazy keto if you're not in that place is not going to work for you. So understand that lazy keto or food freedom or whatever you want to call it is another one of those long-term goals, but you may have to go stepwise through several other other phases, you know, where there's, you're more strict. You do have to think more about your food. 
you know, in order to fix whatever problems or fill up whatever hole you've dug for yourself already with traditional sad eating or whatever. Um, and But I think that as a long-term goal, that's what we should all do. I mean, I would hate to imagine us all five years from now tracking our food every single day. That sounds awful to me. That's not something I would personally want to do. Oh my gosh, I think there's a huge burnout factor. I can't wait to talk to Peter Tia about this because he let it slip on on Joe Rogan's show that he goes, yeah, I, I think I maybe have an eating disorder of some nature because he's fasting for 24 hours every day and eating one meal. And he says at that meal, he's like reaching over onto his kid's plate to clean up the mac and cheese. And like, he can't stop himself. And it's like, you know, could this be fallout from, in his case, going strict keto for three years nonstop with the glucose monitor embedded into his abdomen and he's on his smartphone tracking his glucose at all times, all that in the name of science, which is wonderful. And he chronicled that for all of us to appreciate. But I think the general person uh, doing their thing, again, referencing the athletic experience and the endurance world, there's such a high burnout factor when you cross over that point from lazy, easy, sustainable to whatever you want to call it, to focused and strict and disciplined and diligent and writing stuff down. It's like, I think the more you trend over in that direction, oh my gosh, I think you're, you have a greater potential for a real spin out rather than just a, a general drift down from, let's say, keto macros to the primal blueprint macros of 150 grams of carbs a day from 50 grams instead of going from keto for three months, did great, and then now you're eating 400 grams of carbs a day because you're, you're sick of it and just spinning out. Oh, I was just going to say that maybe I think I... I misuse the word lazy, like as it, no, as, no, I as like it, it is, man. but it's, like, it's not lazy, like, but I don't mean yeah. lazy as in terms of not rigid. It's almost like you can be, it's almost like just instead of being very strict about counting macros, you could just be very strict about uh, the types of foods you eat or like, you know, following a set meal plan, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, that's what like bodybuilders used to do before the whole, if it fits your macros. Well, you could do like something, you know, with very nutritious keto foods and it would be, you know, a very rigid approach, but it's also, I'd say a lazier approach because you're not having to measure things, you know, you're not having to prick your blood, you know, it's like, you know, these are the foods I eat. Right. Everyone like here is simplified keto, really. Yeah. It's not yeah. lazy. As, as opposed well, to lazy. I think we're on to something here. This is pure genius. Everyone here is nodding like it's you, you've you've established your parameters and then you operate comfortably you could say lazily inside those parameters and i think it's as simple as that and i i'm referencing my my cold plunge because all i do is talk about cold plunge right That's now true. but it's like if you're coming in for your first time, which Lindsay and Layla <laughs> will be shortly after this podcast for their uh, inaugural cold plunge at 34 degrees. But when I talk <laughs> about my experience of being disciplined and really into this for uh, six months of the entire year here, 2018, it's now become an automatic behavior. So I operate really easily and smoothly inside these parameters that I've told myself, my brain's told my body, jump in there twice a day, every single day. But to get to that point and like, as an athlete, when I was back in the triathlon scene where we were training constantly, we didn't have to motivate ourselves to get out the door. You just got out the door because it was your job. And it was a huge difference from, you know, the average person who's checking in with their, uh, their, their motivating factors and what other busy things are happening to the day and what other better offers they might have if someone's offering them River Cats tickets. Only people in Sacramento will know that reference. But uh, it's, a, it's a whole big difference from just Brian is, is my good example of just 
placing himself into that world two years ago so that the birthday cake at, at the, uh, the first birthday party of his daughter, no one's even offering him any because they know he can't eat that. And so many people in this world have come to it from severe health metabolic destruction. So they're desperate and they have that inner drive and motivation to do anything that it takes. And it's too bad it has to come to that point because anyone should want to improve their health and dive into things and try it out with with a more natural and comfortable motivating force. But whatever it takes to get there where you're like, in that sort of better focus and everything's easy and smooth for you rather than a daily struggle. Oh, I, I, I miss my bread so much or I have to modify every single recipe so I can have my pancakes for breakfast and my sandwich for lunch with fake bread. That, that part I feel like um, might be more struggle than it's worth rather than just going all in and saying, oh, so I can eat all these good foods? Well, that doesn't sound too bad. And then just say goodbye to the other stuff that we know is harmful. I mean, I think that I basically did the same thing as Brian, like in terms of a simplified keto. It's just that the way I think about it is just that my version of simplified keto is I only eat foods off the primal food pyramid. And for me, that feels simple, right? So I only eat any of the foods that would be primally approved, which means there's a whole huge list of foods I don't eat. And they're just kind of things I choose not to eat. Again, decision fatigue is not an issue because I I would never consider eating them at this point. And again, I do want to stress that this is years down the road in the process for me. It's not just like one day I was like, I'm never eating this again. And it was super easy. No, I've been practicing this for a while. But for me, that's what feels simple. So Brian's version of simple keto and my version of simple keto probably feel similar to us, but look very different on paper. And one is not inherently better than the other, as long as we're both getting the same micronutrients and fueling our various workouts appropriately and stuff. What works for him is not what would work for me necessarily and vice versa, but we're doing equally well on the diet. So Layla, tell us about your gym workouts and how you're able to fuel these with keto. Cause I, I imagine you're in there for quite a while and it's a very glycolytic uh, endeavor to lift these heavy weights and do these longer duration workouts when you're getting serious about what was the acronym we had on the, on the Facebook live show was uh, aesthetic <laughs> muscle. It's A M M A. Aesthetic muscle math muscle accumulation. Mass accumulation. I think oh, that, I think that was it. Yeah, TM the Layla McGowan method. No, um, I mean primarily I do strength training. Um, it's what is popularly called power building, which I guess is irrelevant. But um, it's a combination of bodybuilding, but also I'm very interested in strength. So um, I like to incorporate movements from a lot of different schools. Like I straight steal things from CrossFit when I like movements that CrossFit athletes do like Zercher cycles or I'll straight do some bodybuilding stuff like three different variations of bicep curls. It used to be a lot more regimented about my um, training method, but um, we've been talking about decision fatigue and this dovetails really nicely. Um, It got to a point where I was so sick of logging every single rep and everything I was eating and my blood ketones and how much sleep I got and how many hours I was fasting for. Um, one day I literally went, I am not logging anything. I'm not going to hold myself accountable in numbers for a single thing for an entire week. I stopped weighing myself. Um, I didn't log any of my exercises. I didn't log anything I ate. I just ate intuitively. I decided to train intuitively based off of how I felt that day and what felt strong based on, you know, what I had worked previously. 
And um, I had meant to do that for a week and I never stopped doing that. So that's been working out really well for me. And for the most part, I just go off of intuition. But I'm speaking as somebody who's been strength training since college and um, I'm in my early 30s now. So I know a little bit about how to program a strength training regimen where I'm not going to blow out my muscle groups from overtraining them too many times in a row or from taking on too much volume or too much intensity for too long without, um, you know, varying those things. So um, for your average person, I mean, if you can just find a sensible plan that appeals to you and that is split up in a logical way that doesn't have you destroying your body, you know, every week going five or six times a week, then stick with that if you like it and then eat to feel good about the way that you perform. Like you shouldn't be inordinately hungry and, you know, you should feel satisfied when you eat and not starving. And for some people that might mean that you're eating more than you need to. But if you are doing heavy strength training, then you need to give your muscles something to work off of. Your muscles need vitamins. They need minerals. They need something to burn, um, you know, something in your stomach. I was, yeah, I was just going to add that people, I think, underemphasize like just the need for calories for strength training and they overemphasize the need for carbs because, I mean, Luis said a similar thing that people think of strength training as being, you know, really glycolytic. But really, if you're like doing heavy strength training, and even bodybuilding stuff, like you're not burning through that much glycogen per session. And it's also, you know, it's like local to, you know, whatever muscle groups you're working. So, you know, if you're putting days in between, you know, when you're working your upper body or lower body, it's like, especially if you're sort of keto fat adapted, you're going to be able to just, you know, your glycogen uh, stores are going to refill, you know, just eating keto. Um, and it's not really a limiting factor. Yeah, that's great. And we were talking about that and, and coming up with some uh, some good insights. And I, I I made some intuitive leaps that might not be accurate, but I'm thinking like if you're a sugar burner, you know, in your previous life, and you're going into the gym and you're warming up for 15 minutes of easy pedaling on the exercise bike, or you're climbing two flights of stairs to get to the gym, and as soon as you get out of your car, you're tripping into sugar burning because you, you're terrible at burning fat. You haven't upregulated those genes, and so now you're pedaling on the bike and you're burning mostly sugar. And then you get into your your sets, and of course, those things are high energy demand. Uh, but it's quite a bit different if you're fat adapted and you're pedaling on the bike and you're running climbing the stairs and you're just not tapping into that stored glycogen, you should have plenty of glycogen to finish even the most extreme CrossFit workout you can ever imagine. We know that you have two hours of high-intensity racing to burn through and, and bonk and, mm -hmm. and deplete all your glycogen, or almost all, as Timothy Noakes reminds us. So I think the point of becoming fat-adapted in general life is such a huge aspect of being a top performer in whatever sport, even if it's MMA fighting or NBA basketball or CrossFit. And that sort of, it, it's kind of overlooked the importance of, you know, transitioning to a better fuel just during basic activity and moving around and walking to the parking lot. Yeah. I think one of the interesting things that I found um, in my own experience when I was transitioning from being heavily, heavily carb dependent, I mean, I was the kind of person who was taking these horrible carb slurries. And I was paying so much money for these horrible, Gucci, expensive carb slurries. And I would dutifully drink this horrible chemical dextrose thing 
Um, before my workout, I would drink a little bit. I would portion out a little bit that I would have during, and then I would finish the rest after. So I mean, like complete definition of a carb burner. But once I switched to um, becoming keto and fat adapted, um, I noticed that my ability to grind through explosive lifts that I might have missed as a carbohydrate burner was improved. So if I was, say, doing a deadlift and I'm only getting the bar stuck at about my knees. As a carbohydrate burner, I might not have had any more gas in the tank past that knee point. But once I had access to my fat stores, I might actually be able to recruit enough energy to pull that lift out, whereas previously that would have been a fail for me. And I found that to be really interesting. So like, I started to note that like my grind strength was crazy. But what strength? My my grind strength. So if you're not able to, that's a bodybuilding term. Aesthetic <laughs> yeah, muscle this, mass this, accumulation this, term. Yeah, this endurance athlete has no idea what we're talking about right now. Go we on. could play along though. I am. Yeah, I find my grind strength improves about ten to twelve percent. Yeah, I have the strongest grind strength. <laughs> Can't be king of the world if you're slave to the grind. Slave to the grind. <laughs> that was Skid Row. <laughs> oh my gosh. Ba- anyway. Basically, if you have a lift and you're not able to immediately power through it with explosiveness, you need to dig in and grind, which means that you're just going to stubbornness lift your way up. And I was able to have much better ability to do that once I became fat adapted. And it was like one day somebody just turned a key in a door and the door opened wide up and it was amazing to me. So it was that was a fascinating experience, but it took... A couple months for me to get there. I mean, honestly, initially my workouts really did suffer. How's your grind strength, Brian? When you- <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to answer that, but I, I mean, but I will say that you know, progressing in I think strength uh, pursuits, I think is way more about the training and just the calories and. People think that everything you know is tied to diet, and like you were saying. With uh, that anecdote, talking to, uh, you know, Dr. Uh, Kate Shanahan, you know, when you were talking about your different issues and she was saying... I was was complaining to such extent that she finally, I finally got her against the wall and she said, you tell him. She said, maybe it has nothing to do with your diet. Or your exercise. Or your exercise. (laughs) And it's like, I don't know, I I just think that's a point that's often missed is that we want to attribute everything to our exact, you know, macronutrient breakdown that we've got going on. And, you know, it's way more about, you know, building strength happens really slowly over many, many, many years, you know, and you just have to grind, (laughs) you know, for a long time. (laughs) And you could say the same thing about health, right? Building health happens slowly over the course of many years. And sometimes you're going to have these profound changes where all of a sudden you make these big leaps and you can do, all of a sudden you can lift heavier, or all of a sudden you feel so much better in some way. But it's all a growing process. And I think one of the problems right now is that keto is being marketed in a bunch of different domains, health and sport and whatever, as this kind of magic, this new thing that we've just discovered that's going to change everybody overnight. And for some people, once in a while, it happens, at least according to social media, if that's to be believed. But for most of us, it's just initiating a process that's going to, that we're going to build on for a long time. Uh, one thing that came up this morning when we were just chit-chatting and I wanted to, wanted to get onto the show was, um, especially from this female perspective where both of you guys were weighing in on on this hot button emotional item. And that is like, at what point 
does getting further results uh, become not worth it? Because we have this social media culture, this obsession with uh, uh, physical beauty. We have the cover models and the people setting the tone who are basically artificial human beings. A lot of times they're, they're doped off their ass, uh, not, no kidding, especially in the bodybuilding scene. And in the, on the cover of the cycling magazine, they're those lean machines with giant lungs pedaling up the hill with this many watts. Uh, and everyone's aspiring to be like that. Um, and we, we don't really get that it's, that it's, a, it's a show, it's a performance. So we're back to um, you know, not feeling great about ourselves and then digging deeper and making these uh, sort of uh, hasty decisions or bringing in this element of stress and negativity in the name of uh, dropping some excess body fat so you can finally smile and be happy when you uh, get into your bathing, bathing suit this summer. So uh, we, were, we were putting up some interesting comments about that. Why don't you share them? I think one of the insidious things with social media is that you can find all of these influencers so easily and they all have perfect bodies. And that kind of misleads you into thinking that in the larger world around you that there's this high concentration of people that underneath their clothes have these perfect aspirational bodies because it's just so easy to drum them up on Instagram. And then you fill your feed with them when in fact these people are not common they're not necessarily real, and you don't know what substances they're using to look the way that they do. I mean, even within, let's let's talk about bodybuilding for a minute, even within low-level um, local bodybuilding competition, the, the women are known to use anabolic agents in order to cut and to appear more muscular and lean. They're not going to tell you these things, but this is, this is open knowledge. And if you're taking this person who's... Um, using cutting agents that you're not willing or not able or they're illegal for you to take and then holding them up as your um, physical standard that you wish to achieve, you are literally setting yourself up for failure because it's not physiologically possible for you to have a body like that with a normal set of female hormones. And I think that this is something that isn't talked about. And beyond that, you have people who facetune their their photographs and that's just not even anywhere near what's reality. it called facetune facetune or oh, photoshop. my generation says photoshopping <laughs> facetune i face gotta get tune. that app can i facetune my wrinkles off <laughs> yeah actually yeah yeah no yeah, problem yeah yeah because I, I i don't know if i told you guys this story i was walking in the mall uh, like a couple of years ago and there's that kiosk in the middle with the cosmetics and the females there all dressed up and and like I was walking by and the girl in, in the booth just like locked eyes on me and she's staring at me and she wouldn't break eye contact. I made brief eye contact <laughs> and then she's like smiling at me and she, she, she won't let me go. I'm like, uh, uh, and she then she takes her finger and she says, hey, come here. And I'm like, okay. So I, I walk over there, you know, and she's like, hey, how you doing? What's your name? I'm like, my name's Brad. <laughs> Hi, what's yours? I'm trying to be polite. What's going on here? She goes, I got something for your wrinkles. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so it went from, wow, is this young lady hitting on me to she's trying to sell me some wrinkle cream. So yeah, let's do that in Facetune. Yeah, we'll do this that episode right is sponsored recording. by Facetune, a wonderful app where you can peel your wrinkles off with the swipe of a finger. Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> how do I follow that? Where up? were anyway. we? 
Yeah, part of the issue with that is that you get this unrealistic expectation that everyone around you is fitter than you when that might not necessarily be the case. And it distorts your own ability to judge your body. And granted, anybody could achieve a body like that if they put in enough work and if they were willing to take enough substances. (laughs) So if you want that body and that really is a legitimate goal of yours, you have to ask yourself, you know, am I really willing to live like a monk and not ever go out in social situations? Am I willing to count individual leaves of romaine lettuce and, you know, weigh cherry tomatoes in order to look like this for two or three weeks out of the year um, so that I can, you know, so that I can have this unusually unnaturally shredded body you know am i willing to lose my my menstrual cycles over this you know am i willing to lose my hair am i willing to deal with the mood swings etc cetera, etc cetera? what do you want your life to look like not what do you want you know your ideal body to be like because you have to find that good intersection where your body is in a happy place and you can still live your life like a normal person if that's what you want to do. Now, if you do want to go be a champion bodybuilder and go balls to the walls, then more power to you. But, you know, for normal people who are holding these people up as idols, it can be very problematic if you don't have a good perspective on, you know, what that lifestyle actually entails and how you get there. And how fake it is. I, I direct you to ask Lauren Fleshman's website. She's a former Olympic runner, national champion from Stanford. And she did this great post where she showed a photograph of her on the runway modeling her new apparel in a, uh, a sport, you know, sports bra and, and, and tight shorts. And she's all oiled up with her six pack. And then down further on the post, she has these cameo pictures of her doing a workout later that week with a distinctly different physique because of all the, all, all the attributes that are involved involved in not only airbrushing the photos, but also just dehydrating yourself in the case of the bodybuilders or anyone who's trying to take a picture for social media. You can transform your physique in a very short time. I put up a post on my Instagram. Uh, I didn't plug that yet. Jeez, I got I got whole dudes, <laughs> strong and well-fed, the useful dish, and Brad Kearns won because some effer out there took Brad Kearns. I hate adding numbers to it, but hey, man, this, this site is number one. It beats the other Brad Kearns. But I lost... 11 pounds in a few days when I had vertigo and I was bedridden, I couldn't eat and I really couldn't get fluids down even. And so the idea that like we're obsessed with dropping five pounds or dropping 10 pounds, I know there's an easy way to do it. Just get really sick and then take a bunch of pictures, I guess. Like, hey, looking lean and mean with a big smile the first time I got out of bed from illness and oh my gosh. So, you know, get our get our head straight, read Lauren Fleshman's posts and then talk to your local psychiatrist, psychologist, because Lindsay's weighing, about to weigh in here on the whole big picture aspect of this, these cultural notions and these pressures. Well, I think, I mean, this is something I actually think about a lot and that comes up a lot in our group. You know, I think it's actually the same as I was talking about a little while ago with, you know, the two intersecting graphs, right? That there is, if you're talking about the degree to which the way you look on the outside reflects how healthy you are, then yes, you kind of can approach something that's like more and more and more optimal. But as Layla was saying, whether you're bodybuilding or just trying to get that summer beach body, which obviously is the worst term ever, um, you know, there's also some sort of mental stress that accompanies it because the closer you get to that kind of ideal goal, the harder it is, right? And obviously for some people, it's like, oh, I just, I ate three pizzas and my body just looked like this. But those people are not the norm, right? For most of us, it's like, 
We're going to have some range of, of body type and we can kind of work within that range. And the closer we want to get to one end of the range, the harder and harder it's going to be to get there. And for some people, the desire to get to that optimal, desirable body, however they define that, is going to be so motivating that it's whatever work it's going to take is going to be worth it. And that's fine. But for some people, there's going to reach that tipping point again where the stress and the mental anguish and the amount of work it takes to try to push themselves further down that curve is going to outweigh how desirable that is, right? And so, again, we need to be honest with ourselves. And you don't, if you do legitimately have, you know, 40 or 50 extra pounds of body fat that's causing you to have, you know, leptin or ghrelin dysregulation or insulin sensitivity issues or whatever, then you don't get to just be like, oh, well, I feel healthy, so I am healthy. But I mean, I think a lot of people that we're talking to right now in term, who are identifying with this conversation are people who are well within the spectrum of what would be kind of legitimately considered healthy and are wondering if they should continue to try to push for mostly aesthetic reasons into a different body shape. And if it's causing you significant stress, I think that's your answer. And one of the things I see a lot in the group are people who are feeling really good, liking the way they're eating, and just don't have a certain number on the scale that they think that they should have. And the word should is almost always involved in these posts, right? So it's like, I've been doing keto for X number of months or years, and I feel really good, and I've lost you know 80 pounds, but I still weigh whatever, you know 142 pounds, and I really think that I should weigh 133. And it's like, well, why do you think you should weigh 133? Because 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 25 years ago, a different version of you weighed 133. Well, that's just a number that you put in your own head, right? So if you already are down to what would reasonably be considered a healthy body weight, and now you're becoming completely stressed out because you've set this target goal for yourself, it's really, in my opinion, time to step back and really reconsider whether or not that goal is actually important to you. And I know it's really hard when it comes to body issues and aesthetics and obviously social media makes it really hard, but also just people around you make it hard. And the fact that clothing, that pant sizes are different in every single store, and I'm looking at you, H&M, makes it really hard. Then, you know, I get why it's so very emotionally fraught for people. But I really think for me, one of my big triggers is when I see people say that they should X, Y, Z, I should look a different way. I should wear a size, whatever. I should be able to perform X, Y, or Z athletic feet. To me, that's a huge red flag that you need to step back and evaluate the source of your goal setting. Right. I talked to the athletes for many years saying results happen naturally when you have a pure motivation, when you're doing it because you love it. And even with lifestyle transformation, if you dig deep and want so badly to, to you know, go to the next level of body composition, you're probably going to screw it up anyway because it's too much pressure and too much stress. And when we feel pressure and stress, we like to explode and rebel and go off the rails. So if there's some way, can we blend this together where we can continue to progress and aspire to another level of uh, performance or aesthetics, uh, but do it the right way. I think one of the things that's worked for me is to just be more generous with my timelines. Like I want to be the best version of me that I can possibly be. And that includes my crappy hip and my constantly injured right hand. 
and my bum shoulder and all of my other issues that I need to train around. So, but that doesn't mean that I don't want to continue to achieve to become better and to do the best that I can given my limitations. But in order to take some of the stress off of me, instead of going, you know, I need to look a certain way or I need to make a certain lift by a certain time period, I just go, you know what, I'm going to work towards it and I'll get there when I get there, if I get there. And until then, I just enjoy the process. But I'm a very process driven person. So, I mean, I I fall in love with that learning process instead of being so motivated by, say, chasing those results. Guys, Fantastic Four, great talk. And this is just a smattering of this recurring theme that you find in the Keto Reset Mastery course. I should plug the course because when you enroll, you get all these video instruction and information about how to do it right. But we go way beyond the logistics and showing you what 50 grams of carbs looks like on all the plates, which we do. Thank you very much. But it's also getting that mindset right and and developing that pure motivation and, and rejecting these unhealthy external forces that can so easily throw you off. That's when you have the whole package together of learning the logistics, learning the the ins and outs and the particulars and making sure you got your sodium, potassium, magnesium levels right, but also that you're having fun and smiling, enjoying your meals, buying good books like the Keto Reset Instant Pot Cookbook, upcoming Keto Reset Diet Cookbook, all the other great resources that are out there. So thank you so much for listening to this resource, the Primal Blueprint Podcast for... Dr. Lindsay Taylor, Layla McGowan, Brian McAndrew. I'm Brad Kearns. Talk to you soon. So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're, we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table. It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the Primal Kitchen Wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. Which <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too perfect. So, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my gosh. So she likes like the mayo on a Oh yeah, she, so she loves those. So we love them as well. We have, uh, we, we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo, we eat the balsamic, we eat the, the ranch, um, the avocado oil we use all the time. And, and so, you know, that's completely genuine. And I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish, Balance, Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch Dressing if you want. <laughs> and uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're, they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> it's my pleasure.